All right, I'm going to talk about a soldier's life. And I'm not talking about the soldier's life like maybe, you know, uh, fighting in Afghanistan or something like this. I'm talking about the Christian soldier fighting where you live, fighting where you work, fighting where you go to school, where your neighborhood. So uh, we're going to talk about a good soldier's life. By way of introduction, Paul is writing to a young man, and he's not writing from his holiday home in southern Spain. He's writing from a prison cell. He is about to go before the high court of the day, which was Caesar Nero. And but when he finishes his presenting his case, and when the Jews present finishing their case against him, he will lose his case and he will die. He won't be executed as a, because of being a murderer or a rapist, but they will execute him because he dared to go against the flow of this world with the gospel. He preached against sin at the highest levels, and he said that there was only one Savior, Jesus, the Son of God. He never promoted Mary. He never inferred that there was coming an, uh, a, a, a Muhammad or that there was an Allah. He never put focus on a Pope or on Mahatma Gandhi. He said he preached Jesus Christ crucified. And he called for grown men to not just come to church, but to repent. And so it agitated people. It got them upset. But you know what's amazing? Grown men came. Grown men fell in love with the Lord Jesus Christ and gave their lives to, uh, uh, to become good soldiers of Jesus Christ. They turned the world upside down. So don't think that the message is so um, you know, agitating. Of course it is. But real men respond to the gospel. Now one young man, young man was on Paul's heart and he needed to be encouraged. His name was Timothy. So he wrote this wonderful uh, uh, New Testament book called 2 Timothy just before his execution. This is the last book that Paul writes to anyone that we know of. And he told Timothy, be a good soldier. What an unusual title. We like titles like, uh, you know, you be the uh, chief executive officer. Uh, you be the pastor. Uh, you be the head teacher. No, no. Paul said, Timothy, be a good soldier. Now, all Christians are in an army, and we are actually soldiers in that army. Being a soldier is not for elite people. See, elites believe they're superior to other people, kind of like the royal family, you know, or media personalities. You get around somebody who has millions of people on their, following them on Twitter and on TikTok and all these other things. They, they really think of themselves as superior to everyone. Elites sit in their palaces and tell people what to do. But soldiers are at the front lines of every battle, and they do the hard work, and they do the dangerous work. Christians are not special. But what we do is special. Because we're at war. We're in an invisible war that is just as serious and just as deadly as any war could ever be. If you ever tried to win someone to faith in Christ, you know what I'm talking about. If you've ever tried to battle temptation, you know what I'm talking about in the spiritual realm. If you've ever wrestled dark, wicked, dangerous imaginations, you know what I'm talking about. We're in a spiritual war. Just try and do right consistently, and you will find Satan blocking you, discouraging you, and, if, and basically stopping you at every turn. This is called spiritual warfare. The truth is, as I said last week, not every problem in your life is physical. You may have a broken arm, you may have sinus problems, you may have hearing loss, you may hear of wars and, and famines and, and fightings and arguing, but some problems are emotional. That's the soul. And then there are some problems that are spiritually based, like demonic attacks, like deep discouragement, spiritual fatigue. No amount of drugs or counseling can cure them. Most Christians are not aware of the spiritual war going on around them. They're, and that is, they are ignorant and therefore they are dangerous. It'd be like walking into a, a, a street that is owned by a gang and the gang is about ready to start shooting and start fighting and you're just walking straight on into that not knowing you're about to die. And Christians walk through life not knowing that there are spiritual forces at war and they come home and they go, why am I so dark? Why is everything going on inside of my head ruined? Because you've been in a battle and you didn't even know it. 
And a real shame is that few Christians are actually trained and ready for the spiritual fight. They're ill-prepared. So my goal through this month is to prepare us for war. Now, I have no enemy physical. I have no one that I hate or wish any evil for. Let me tell you this. But I do have an enemy that I wish was gone and that I want to defeat. And I yearn to put my foot on his neck and watch him squirm. And that's the devil. We're at war. Now, there are five different views on the Christian life. Now, maybe there's more, but I came up with five. Normal people sitting in this room have a view. Some of them are, some of you are spectators. You're in the crowd. And you may sometime, and you ought to, when I'm saying something that's right from the Bible, you ought to go, amen. That's the spectator who comes and sits. And they go, yay, we made a score. That's all they are. That's all they think Christianity needs is just another spectator in the crowd. There are also the supervisors. Oh, I love being around those. They are my favorite, not. They're the ones who really, their whole purpose in being a Christian is to make sure, not that they do right, but that you do right. And they watch your life and they check lists and they make sure, are you doing this? Are you doing that? Those are the supervisors. Most of us who've worked under supervisors hated it because the supervisors rarely did the work. We did the work. Amen. Then there are those who are what I call the super sensitive. They are, they go to church for the emotion. They want to swing. They want everything to feel good. They want to weep and they want to laugh. They want to be entertained. And they hope that the pastor moves them. They are the super sensitive. Then there are those who are the samplers. They just come and they, they sample things. You ever, you ever had somebody sit down for dinner and you've got a three-course meal there and they look around and say, is there anything else? You know, I, I kind of like gravy on my potatoes. <laughs> and they're, they're always looking for something more. They, they, they go to this church and it's just not what they want. And so they go to that church and they try this Bible. No, I don't like the King James Bible. Oh, they try something else. And they're never settled. They sample and they taste, but they never stay. But Jesus Christ didn't die for any of those people to live that way. He died so that every Christian, he rose again so that every Christian becomes a good soldier. You know what a soldier eats? Whatever he's given. You know what a soldier does? Whatever he's supposed to do. We have a butterfly or a moth. Now, that will be the devil's distraction if we uh, just let him so pray. Oh, by the way, does everybody enjoy? Well, can I show you one thing? You ready? Okay. Isn't that pretty? Our moth loves it. Prayerfully. I don't know what we're going to do, but we will do our best. We may have to turn off the lights and let him find his way out. He, he loves the light. John, if you turn off the lights, or um, Darren, if you'll turn off the lights, maybe he'll make his way to the door. Go ahead. Get off these, these two, yeah. And these are the PL. All right, ooh. Now, he's going to still go for that, I forgot. Uh, all right. Um, I know you're not going to pay attention to me now this entire time, so I'm just going to try my best. Go ahead and click them on. We're just going to do our best. Folks, let me tell you, uh, we're supposed to be soldiers because our enemy is a killer. He is a sniper of the best abilities. Uh, the Bible says in 1 Peter 5.8, it says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may what? Devour. Remember, you can't, if you're a spectator, you're a sitting duck. If you're a supervisor constantly looking around, finding and judging and condemning everybody, you have set yourself up for a disaster and for a final condemnation. If you're so sensitive, super sensitive, the devil will play on your emotions. If you're just sampling and going from place to place, you'll never get into the fight. But if you become a soldier, the devil is afraid. Because that means you're standing up to him and you're pressing on no matter what he has puts against you. So let's talk about the Christian's life, and let's talk about what we are, because this is, this is what we forget. This is, as, a, as a soldier, what does that make me, all right? A good soldier is four things. Number one, we are sons of God. 
We read there, it says, Thou therefore my son. Now Paul is speaking to uh, uh, Timothy. They're actually brothers, but he's discipling him. He's training him like an older brother does a younger son, brother, or like a father does his son. And we are the sons of God. Galatians 3.26 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I know there are people in other churches that believe everybody is a children of God, and they're not. The most religious are actually children of who? The devil. Jesus said to the most religious men there, he said, ye are of your father, the devil. So you're only a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. But that makes you part of the family of God. You have a relationship with God. Not a, not a superficial, go away you. <laughs> Telling you, the devil doesn't want this preached, and so we'll do our best to ignore him. I don't know. Anything can go wrong, will go wrong. Murphy was a corkman. Uh, we are sons of God. And sometimes, even, even um, uh, 1 John says very powerfully, he says, uh, now are we the sons of God. And the, the truth is, that's where, our, that's where our soldiering starts, in this new side, in this new family. If somebody broke into your home, and you're, you're, just, a, uh, you know, you're just a teenager, would you just let that person just go through the house? Or would you grab a, a hurley stick? Would you say, Dad, let's get this guy? That's the role. We say we've got to protect what God has given us in our family and in our Christianity. Don't tack on your relationship with God on a Sunday. Have a relationship that lasts all week long. I said also, and I want to, uh, uh, that we are soldiers. That means something. Soldiers are people who protect nations from the enemies of liberty. That's the purpose of a soldier. They're part of an army that does the fighting, hand-to-hand, toe-to-toe. Generals always give their orders uh, in, in, their, in their bunkers, but soldiers follow those, uh, those orders in the trenches. We Christians are not supposed to sit at home and let the world go on its merry way to hell. We engage the spirit of this age. We confront the lies being put out by zillions of cults and religions. And folks, we, we have to confront this modern fake news media age where movies and music mock everything about the Bible and about Jesus Christ. The most recent one was by a guy named Don Lemon on CNN. If you got to watch it, he sat there and he was talking to, uh, the, uh, to this guy named Como um, in, in New York and he was bragging on how, you know, we, need, we, we may need to just tear everything down because nothing's perfect. Not even Jesus was perfect. You know what Don Lemon is? An ignoramus. He does not know the Bible. He doesn't know anything about Jesus Christ. But there he is speaking like he knows what he's talking about. We confront that and we win souls. We persuade men to repent and follow Christ. We persuade them. We are soldiers. By the way, soldier is also a verb. It's a, it's a, uh, uh, it's a noun. It, it, it is what we are, but it's what we do as well. That's why we use the term soldiering on, where somebody continues on through difficult times. Third, we are already dead. Now, this might sound strange, but go to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14. <clears throat> Galatians 6.14 says, but God forbid. Galatians 6.14, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. If I want to rejoice, I'm going to rejoice in what happened at the cross. And he goes on, by whom? By Jesus, the world is now dead to me, crucified unto me, and I'm dead to the world. That's interesting. Then go to Colossians. Go to the right a few more pages to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3 in verse 1. When we were born again, we were given a new life altogether. If ye then be risen with Christ, you need to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on the things on the earth, not anymore, for ye are, say it with me, say it louder, dead and your life now is hid with Christ in God so it may sound strange but that's how God sees us now when I look at you you don't look dead right I've met some people who smelled it but looking at it it's like 
they're quite alive. But as far as God, when he looks at you and as far as you, when you look at this world, we don't, this is not where we live anymore. This isn't our life anymore. The moment a person gets the gift of God, what is the gift of God? Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is, I got a whole new life. If any man be in Christ, he is a whole new creature. Old things are passed away, they're dead. All things are become new. We are more alive than ever. We've already moved on from this world. This world doesn't fascinate me anymore. I think it's beautiful. I think there's some fantastic things. There are things I wish I could do. I'd love to go and, and uh, experience different uh, exciting trips and holidays. But you know what? I don't have to anymore. My life, if I, just, um, if I just finished up today, and I hope that doesn't happen, but if I just finished up today, I am happy because I moved on already. godly pastor in Chicago in the 1850s named Pastor Randall. I don't know his first name, but he was dying. He had a large church of about 3,000 people. His vast congregation queued up outside of his home to sing and send their love to him as he lay in, in his bed at death's door. One of the deacons of the church wept at Pastor Randall's bedside, and Pastor Randall asked why he was, what he was weeping about. And the man replied, because you, Reverend Randall, are dying. Pastor Randall smiled. He said back to his faithful friend in the ministry, Mr. Randall died a long time ago, my friend, and then he fell asleep in Jesus. I wish you had that kind of rest. I wish you had that ability to be able to say, you know, the moment I got saved, the old me died. I, I've been just, just going through life waiting on the future. I'm not worried about the past. I'm not even worried about the present. I'm looking forward to heaven. My life's there. My life is hid with Christ in God. I'm... I'm I'm, I'm a winner already. So no matter what you may face, I, I, I know people don't like me saying this, but we really don't care. Don't you care about the envir environment? Not really. <laughs> now I do. I pick up every bit of rubbish I find. I believe that the oceans are way over dumped in. That I don't mind getting involved in and trying to fix, but I, that's not my life. That's not what I care about, folks. I care about souls. I care about people getting saved because the wrath of God is coming, not poisoned water. We Christians don't fear COVID-19. You ever been around a Christian and you've been around somebody who's not saved? People who are saved, we kind of like, eh, it's okay. Somebody who's unsaved, I mean, they're in a hazmat suit. They've got a snorkel and, a, um, you know, they're, they're breathing off oxygen masks and they're like, keep 25 feet distance. You know, there's a difference. A Christian just doesn't worry. Now, yeah, we take precautions. Yes, if it gets bad, we do such and such. But we don't care. Not really. We don't care about um, uh, the ec coming economic collapse. And believe me, it's coming. Or even the next 20 disasters. I mean, they already talked about the swine flu on its way again. We don't fear what men can do in us. And we don't really fear death. I don't want to die. But death is not to be feared. Jesus called it going to sleep. Why? Go to John, Gospel of John, chapter 5. John, chapter 5, verse 24. <clears throat> why, why don't we read it? Now, it's not that, listen, the world will look at us and go, don't you care? The, the world will look at us and go, how come you guys aren't wearing masks? Now, you can't say it, but I think it, because I don't care. Not that I don't care about your health and my health, but I've already read all this stuff. There's so much conflicting things. We're going to keep a distance. But you know what? If, if we can, we're just going to, it's it all possible. We're going to just serve God. We're going to love God. If we have to bump elbows, if we have to just wave, I don't care. I'm not going to be worried about every little thing because, look at it, verse at chapter 5, verse 24. Verily, verily, Jesus speaking, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and just believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. You've got it. And shall not come to condemnation. Why? Because you are already passed. You've moved on from death, this life, unto eternal life. You saved? Are you saved? Can you step back and go, whoo, I'm saved. Yeah, but, but you might get COVID-19. I know, but it'll be okay. If I die, I'm just going to be with Jesus. 
if, if, if I, if, if, if any, listen, COVID-19 is not the biggest problem. Depression is right now. Okay? The treatments that aren't being conducted in the hospital because people are afraid to go to the hospital. Don't worry about everything in the world. Worry about pleasing one person, Jesus Christ. Last point there on this thing. <clears throat> 15th of June, 1980, Craig Ledbetter died. Now, he shows his ugly face every once in a while, a lot of times. But I need to keep him in that grave as much as I can because, I, I listen, that's, that's not me anymore. That's not my life anymore. Who I was before I got saved and who I still try to be that's related to that old man is not who I am. Who I am is a soldier of Jesus Christ. And we're guaranteed winners. I wish I could talk for an hour just on this, but folks, the lotto is no attraction for me. You're just throwing away your money. We Christians are more than conquerors. Already won. John 16, 33, Jesus said, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. Why would he speak the word peace? Because in the world you're going to have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have already overcome. I have defeated. I have conquered the entire world. We're already guaranteed winners. So God has given us eternal life. He's given us the weaponry. And he's actually given us the training so that whatever we face, whatever battle we face, we can win. So we just need training. Let's go back to 2 Timothy and let's focus just on the training thoughts here. 2 Timothy. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter... Two. Now, this is going to be brief. It would normally take at least six months to go over what I'm about to show you in the next 20 minutes. Because not only can I, does it need to be taught, it needs to be experienced. Have you ever noticed, can I be plain, have you ever noticed, there's another one, have you ever noticed that when, when you're reading the Bible, a lot of it just doesn't make sense to you that day. You go, I don't understand, what's the point of this? Why is he saying this? Why is she doing that? You ever, anybody else been like that? You know Why? Because you haven't experienced yet what they're going through. And so a lot of the Bible is not just information that can be learned. It is truths that have to be experienced. You cannot learn about salvation and enjoy it until you experience it. Amen? You can't enjoy forgiveness until you experience it. You can study forgiveness all day long. But until you actually forgive and until you actually have been forgiven, it means nothing to you. Does that make sense? So uh, we need training, more than just head knowledge. <clears throat> so it involves intense preparation. There is intense preparation if you're ever going to be a soldier of Jesus Christ. The Christian life is no picnic. It is a battle every day. Say, it shouldn't be a battle. I can only tell you I wish it wasn't a battle. But if you are not in a battle, it's because you're not on the front line. You've gone home. You stayed out of being involved in, in the things that make a difference. If you, if you on a Friday afternoon are happy at work or happy at home and you're just uh, sipping on your cup of tea and, and you're looking out at the birds singing and, and uh, flying in your back garden, amen, I'm glad you're able to do that. That's easy. But when you're at the Peace Park and you're talking to people straight up, ask them, you believe in God? Well, what about heaven? What about hell? All of a sudden, that's where the battle is. We are, we, if you're ever going to get into that place where you're in the battle, it's going to take preparation. That's why we have church, to prepare you for the battle. I said last week, I said, you've got to be trained in grace. You need to go back and listen to last week's message. It's online. Every one of us need to become strong in grace. Develop strength in God's grace. 2 Timothy 2, 1 says, Therefore, my son, be strong, not in the power that is in Jesus Christ, but in the grace that's in Christ. It means kindness, gentleness. It's the ability to put up with hardships. We looked at last week about where the devil works, and that where he works in the anger and the bitterness and the, the um, hate. and the, uh, He works in the area of your bitterness and hurts. He loves darkness. He stirs up wrath and revenge and retaliation, but God operates. God gives a victory in areas of praise and faith and rest and humility and forgiveness. And that's where the power is. And we need to be trained in that grace. 
When every time God has grace with us, we need to relish that and say, I'm going to extend that to somebody else. I'm going to be trained in it. Third thing, and this is where we're going to focus today, we've got to become mentally disciplined. He goes on, verse 2, the things that thou hast heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Look at those, the things that thou hast heard of me. What's he talking about? He's saying, don't just try to figure out Christianity on your own. Don't just hope that, well, I hope for the best. You actually need to listen and learn. Now, I'm, I'm talking to the choir. You're here to do that. <clears throat> Can you imagine if a soldier was left to figure out how to fight a war without being trained? Let's take Gavin. Let's drop him over in Afghanistan. Bye, Gavin. I'm sure you'll do fine. We believe in you. <laughs> Gavin has to be trained and prepared or else he's going to die. Can you imagine if a doctor was left to just make up patient care without intensive training in the A&E? Do you know why doctors don't go screaming and running around and crying when, when a person from a car accident is brought in in pieces? Do you know why? Because they have been trained. They have been prepared to look beyond the blood and to look beyond the, 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 the cries of that patient and to see this is what we need to do. And Christians, we cannot think that this spiritual battle is just just experience just on the fly <clears throat> we need to be prepared or else we will run away <clears throat> mental discipline how do you how do you discipline your thoughts <clears throat> and your imaginations well i'm going to be real simple and be real plain number one god gave you a manual <clears throat> god gave you a manual to read it's your bible now, i'm not going to ask you but i want you to ask yourself have you ever read your bible all the way through oh i don't understand it i don't think any of us understood any, uh, algebra either did we Geometry? What's a theorem? <clears throat> I love geometry. But you're sitting there and she's talking about the, you know, the theorem and the hypotenuse and the hypotheses and all this stuff. You're going, what does this have to do with anything? I like one kid uh, on their, their test. It said um, x plus 1 squared over x minus 1 uh, squared. Find x. And so the kid circled x and says, found it. <laughs> That's about the level of most people when we first start algebra and stuff. <clears throat> Folks, you need to sit down. You're going to have to say, I just got to read this book. God gave me this book to read four chapters a day, every day. If that's all God expected of me, that's what I need to do. I need to read my Bible through every year. I'm saved 40 years. I've read my Bible through 40 times. And I believe that that's a little slow. <clears throat> I wish I could read it more. I wish I could just get through it and get through it. I've got a friend who's a pastor now who's, he's saved <clears throat> 45 years. He's that biker. <clears throat> he was uh, a biker. He got saved by a, a girl, a little 12-year-old girl, giving a gospel track. And um, uh, he got off his bike and this little girl, this girl gave the gospel track and says, Sir, I don't want you to go to hell. Would you please get saved? And he just laughed at her. She says, please take this, read this track. He says, what's in it? She said, well, it tells you that the wages of sin is death. She's talking to this biker, beard, leather, chains. And the biker guy looking at her go, yeah, what else does it say? I'm not telling you. You got to read the track if you want to know the rest of it. And he took it, he threw it down, and she walked away, and her dad was just standing there like, you know, <laughs> come back to daddy. The guy in the car on the left, he was at a McDonald's. He drove off after having his burger a half hour down the road, and he says, the wages of sin is death, is death. The wages of sin is death. That's what kept going on inside of his head until he turned around, went back, found that track, and read it, and says, but the gift of God is eternal life. And he read the rest of that track. He got saved. He became a pastor. He saved 45 years. He's read his Bible through 140 times. What am I doing? I'm bragging a little bit about how, you know what, some people just can do it. Oh, but I can't. You can do it once a year. You need to read the manual. If, you, if you're in the military, guess what they make you do? Read the manual. There's a manual on how to make your bed. There's a manual on how to, how to take apart and put, a get, put together again your gun. There's a manual on how to operate machinery. You have to read the manuals. Why do we think this is not important? You can do it. Make a commitment to reading your Bible and study it. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved to who? Unto God. Learn what is in it. Let the Bible surprise you. It has the answers about racism, folks. 
It has the answers about depression. It has all the answers you need about money, about the economy, about relationships, about marriage, about politics, and a thousand more subjects. Start studying the book like your sanity depends upon it. Jesus said, learn everything he ever said. Go to Matthew. Matthew <coughs> chapter 28. Matthew 28, 19. Matthew 28, 19. Go ye therefore, speaking to his disciples, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost. Teach them to observe how many things? That's a lot of things. Teaching them to obey and do all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always. So did you notice in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, and the things that thou hast heard of me. Wow. So Jesus taught Paul things, and all that was taught Paul, Paul says, the things that I've taught you, there's teaching going on, there's study going on, where you learn everything he said. Start from the heart out. If you, if you have, that book was not written for your head mainly. That book was written for your heart. You will, you will go and bang your head against the wall day after day after day until you get this book in your heart. Thy word have I hid in my head. Is that what it says? No. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I may not sin against thee, God. Deuteronomy eleven eighteen says, Therefore shall you lay up all these my words in your heart. God, even in the Old Testament, said about the laws, he says, put these in your heart. Don't try to understand them all. You ever had a thousand questions? That's normal. But at some point, you got to say, I'm just going to believe it. I'm just going to store it up. It has an effect. These are the words of eternal life, folks. This is not a history book. This is not a science book. This is not a, um, a, a, a fashion magazine. This is the word of God that when it's in your heart, it seems to fix things. Start from the heart out. And make sure you're just, you, you don't just learn it, but you live it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Even if no one else in your home is committed to living this book, this Bible, you do it, please. Read the manual. Secondly, listen to godly instructors. He says back there in 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, The thing that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses. Timothy was not told to only study the Bible. He said, listen to your teachers. Listen to godly instructors. I really, I, I, I have to envy Timothy because Timothy got to sit, got to sit at Paul's feet. I, I envy Peter because Peter got to sit at Jesus' feet and listen to him for three and a half years. Don't be a fool. The Bible calls a stubborn man or woman who despises learning a fool. Did you know that? Proverbs chapter uh, 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. A fool will sit there and go, I don't want to be taught. I don't want to listen to you, Pastor. I don't blame you. But I'm here and you're here. Let's get it on. Amen. <laughs> listen to the teachers that God has given you. They are not perfect. But I, whether, ladies, if you're married to a husband and he, if, he's, if, if God gave you that husband, that is God's gift to you. Kids, your parents are God's gift to you. Church, this pastor is God's gift to you. Learn from them. Holy Spirit of God, in those quiet times when you're alone with your Bible and prayer, is your teacher, but he uses people. Let him use it. The Bible calls it mentoring. That's a good word. Mentoring means you sit at the feet of a master teacher. You listen to every word and watch every move, and you pay attention, all eyes and all years listening. When I went to college, we're going way back, okay? Computers still only sat on desks, and they were huge. So there were no laptops. There was a notepad. How many of you remember what a notepad was? Huh? Anybody remember? A biro. Does anybody have one of those these days? Ugh. When I went to college, and I got my first class was at 7.30 in the morning. There were about 120 students in there. It was like impossible to, to, to be awake, but I had to be awake because... I was paying half of my um, tuition. I had to buy all of my books. 
and there I am paying for this college. I am not going to sleep through a class. And so the teachers never repeated a, um, uh, you know, a class or whatever. What they were saying, what they were drawing out on that blackboard, you know what I had to do? Write it down. I had to have all eyes open, all ears. I don't, it was my time to learn. And we're just not like that anymore. We always have a rewind button. We always have a way to, to listen to it later, which we never do. Let, let God show you through godly instructors, wise friends, wise influencers in your life, how to live for Christ, how to be a good soldier. And there's a good thing here, believe God. The whole purpose, Paul was telling Timothy, be a good soldier. Please him by believing him. What pleases God? Anybody remember? Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So I, I, my goal is I just want to get to the place where I believe God and not my own heart. I believe God and not my friends or the media. I believe God. Timothy, your experiences will constantly change. Your circumstances will constantly change. One minute everything will be fine, and the next minute you're in prison. One minute you're, you're, you're happy, next minute your wife is angry at you, your dog is, is, is tearing your leg trousers off, and you get laid off from work. That's life. Just believe what God promises in the pages. Believe God. If you want to change the way you think, start believing God, not your thinking. Amen? That is so vital. Fourth, third, fourth, study people's lives. Paul says, the things that thou hast heard of me, he's teaching. But he's not just saying that Timothy got up there and wrote on a whiteboard and used PowerPoint. I mean, all of these things are fine things. They're tools to use in teaching. But Paul said, watch me. It's one thing to have a teacher in a class. It's another one to see them at a funeral. See how they act when they're around people who are grieving. It's another one you see them at the grocery store. It's another one you see them at the bank and they're arguing with the teller. <laughs> Watch their lives. Now, this is very important because God gave us well over 400 men and women described in the Bible for us to study. Learn from Peter how to fail and get back up again. Amen. Learn from Moses how to humble yourself before God. Learn from Sarah, Abraham's wife, how to work through all the doubts and still become strong in your faith in God's ability to do anything. But then there are thousands of other godly Christians throughout church history that you ought to read about. How about a guy named Richard Wormbrand? He was a Jewish, converted Jewish Romanian Lutheran pastor living in communist Romania. He was imprisoned and tortured for Christ. He wrote a book called Tortured for Christ. You ought to read it. How about George Mueller? George Mueller took in the orphans off of the streets of London, off, uh, uh, off the streets of um, dozens of communities, and without any income, without any sure uh, uh, financial support, he prayed in every loaf of bread, every jar of milk. He fed those kids. He clothed them. He gave them beds. He took in hundreds and hundreds for years and years till he died. You ought to read about George Mueller. You ought to read about Elizabeth Elliot, who lost her husband as he tried to preach and reach a, a, a deadly uh, tribe in, in the Amazon in, in Brazil. You ought to read John Fox. He wrote a book called Fox's Book of Martyrs. You read about his life and what he and he and John Bunyan and they, as, as they attempted to live for God 400 years ago, how hard it was. How about William Wilberforce? He worked tirelessly to end slavery in England, and he succeeded. You ought to read about how Christians, Christians made all the changes that the world's finally just catching up with. A woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. You ought to study that life because she lived her life without any movement from her neck down. She was diving off of a, 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 a side of a, 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 the ocean there. When she dived in, her head right under the, uh, under the water, didn't know it was shallow, snapped her neck, should have died, brought her up. And all these years, she has written several books on the pain and the struggle of living completely 
at the mercy of somebody turning you over in bed. And she's a great Christian. She's got more grace in her pinky fingernail than I do in my entire body. How about Jonathan Edwards, a great man of God who lit the fire for the great awakening in America, saved America. Martin Luther, the great reformer, learn about his life, watch his depression, watch how he handles constant persecution. Read about William Tyndale. Why are you telling me all these people? Because we're ignorant of godly lives that could influence us and make us good soldiers. They are examples of good soldiers. I want to be one. George Whitfield saved England. You have no idea how many times Christians have stepped up and they have spoken up and they have influenced that nation for God and saved it from internal destruction. Charles Spurgeon over in London, William Carey, a great missionary over in India in the 1700s, Adoniram Judson, my favorite, Adoniram Judson, his wife, Ann Judson, missionary to Burma. You ought to read about these people. I've got to move on. If you're going to discipline, discipline, if you're going to take a, here's an here's a 18-year-old kid who never made his bed, never, never ate his, uh, what was in front of him because all he did was complain without complaining. He never did anything with his life. How does a sergeant take somebody like that and make a soldier out of them? Discipline. Discipline. You see, as what, what, what those instructors do is they get that person to think, which is better. Do you want to live or do you want to die on the battlefield? And compare and contrast, ponder and think. Go down to 2 Timothy 2, 7. Paul even tells Timothy, he says, consider what I say, ponder what I'm talking about. And the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Don't just take this at surface. Ponder these things. You know, words have meaning. Almost every word is being changed and ruined today. Learn the meaning of words. Be careful what you're learning. By the way, Romans chapter 16. Go to Romans. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17. <clears throat> 16, 17. Be careful what you're learning. Romans 16, 17. Paul tells that entire group of Christians up in Rome, he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them. What does that mean? Take note of them. Know who they are. Watch this. Mark them which cause what? Divisions. Somebody comes along and tries to say, you know, Pastor, he's wrong here. And, you know, you know, you know so-and-so, the, the Baptist, this, and that. Watch them, okay? Watch them. Now, there's nothing perfect. Somebody may bring up a right issue, but all they want to do most of the time is just cause division, mark them. He goes on. Mark them with cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which he have already learned and avoid them. Boy, I wish Paul had had YouTube and the Internet thin so he could actually expand on that. Verse 18, it says, For they that are such... They serve not the Lord Jesus Christ. If all they're wanting to do is cause divisions. There are people right now who'd love to be on YouTube and have you watching them instead of being in church. That's an abomination to God because we're to gather together. He can't pastor you. He doesn't know you. Are you with me? He'll love you sending him money. He'll love you clicking on all of his advertising links. You need to have a pastor. You know, there's nothing wrong with learning from everybody. But at some point, you got to say, that guy's only causing division, and I need to avoid him. Keep going. He says, they are not such, they that are, are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but rather their own belly. And by good words, oh, do they have good words, and fair speeches, they deceive the hearts of the simple. I have found that most churches say things that are nothing but trite, meaningless, mystery, mysterious phrases that help nobody. Churches are now basically entertainment centers promoting sensationalism. You know, even with Paul, when Paul came and he preached, he never expected anybody just to believe him. The Bereans searched the scriptures daily as he taught to make sure what he was saying was actually true. Last thought, well, two thoughts. Yield to the pushing and the pulling that's against your will. Paul, when he's telling Timothy, he gives him no excuse to back out. He never says, and you know, when it gets hard, Timothy, I understand, I know, and I felt it so many times, and I quit a couple of times. I'm not going to mention it, but I quit, and I understand if you want to quit. Paul said, Timothy, soldier on. When the pushing is heavy, when the pulling is against your will, 
Go with it. The biggest word in the New Testament for the Christian, the hardest word to obey is yield. Yield. You ever had anybody take pictures? Remember when you were a kid and all the family was lined up? And there was always at least one kid that the photographer would come up there and take that kid and try to move him over here and set him up and look this way. And the kid would go right back. Wouldn't yield. Wouldn't just move and sit still for just 30 seconds. Don't be like that kid. When the Holy Spirit says, act, do, humble, speak, shut up. <laughs> Whatever the Holy Spirit does, if it's against your will, good, because that's disciplining you. That's changing you. Yield to it. You can sit and gripe and complain and pout, or you can yield and attempt great things for God. Lastly, ask God for help constantly. <laughs> ask God for help constantly. He, I like how Paul says there in verse 7, I'll say it again, consider what I say, and the Lord give thee understanding in all things. Ask God to help you understand what's going on. Ask God to help you constantly. You're going to wake up every morning and say, help me, Lord. I don't know how to deal with this problem. I don't know how to deal with this person. Help me, God. Help me not to say what agitates. Help me to say what blesses. Help me, God. Help me, help me. That's discipline. We just need training. I said these things. I said we need intense preparation. We need it trained in grace. And we need mental, mental discipline. But last thing Paul finishes, and I'm just going to say this very briefly. In 2 Timothy 2, 2, he says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, he didn't just speak only one-to-one. -one, he spoke with as many people as possible. He says, The same I want you now to commit to faithful men and then get them to be able to teach others also. Pass everything you learn on. Would you agree with me? Would you agree that this generation doesn't know God? When I came to Ireland 26 years ago, do you know what I found? I found almost no children who knew any more than one, two, or three of the commandments. I'll give you one guess how many commandments kids know today. We need to invest what we have learned. We need to invest it in the next generation or else we're not going to have any good soldiers. God is interested in investing in the next generation of good soldiers. Do you know, here we have Paul, the teacher, investing in Timothy. He says, Timothy, invest in good, faithful men. Don't waste your time on people who don't want to learn. Invest in good men, in faithful men. And listen, I'm glad you're here, and I'd love to have this place full, but I want faithful people. God expects us to be faithful because those make good soldiers and those survive the battles. They don't wash out. Invest in the next generation of soldiers. Did you ever think of the people that you're influencing? At any one time in your life, you're influencing at least three generations. Think about it. I've got grandkids here tonight, uh, today, this morning. I'll say that tonight. <laughs> I have grandchildren here this morning. My life is influencing three generations. Not only my wife, not only the people here, but my kids and my grandkids. Everything we do influences three generations. Does that terrify you? That's why God left us here. To influence. I'd say Homer Simpson has influenced this world enough, amen? I'd say that all of the news media, the Facebook, everything has influenced this generation. We've got to become good soldiers and influence our world again. You say, we're just a few. Jesus only had 12, and one of them was a devil. <laughs> and he turned the world upside down. And that's why God left this church here. That's why God has this church here. That's why it's important that we keep this church growing. That's why we have Bible clubs and children's church. That's why we have teen outreaches and soul winning and men's camps and youth camps. Why? Because we're influencing this generation. Pass everything on. This, if this is any good at all on Sunday morning, could you not say, i got to bring somebody next week? Amen. i got to get somebody to watch it on YouTube. i got to get somebody to listen to what God says. Next week I'm going to talk about, it only gets harder, folks, enduring hardness. This is where the rubber will meet the road. Paul says endure hardness. We're going to just ponder that. Watch out for minefields. He says, be careful not to be trapped, entangled in the affairs of this, of this life. And then lastly, you just need to please one person. 
You don't have to please anybody else. You need to please him who chose you to be a soldier. So by way of concluding thoughts, we're, we have a war to fight. And every one of us have been told, this, what we've learned just in these few verses are some things that we need to do to soldier on, like be trained in grace, become mentally disciplined, and pass everything on. This is not just about us. This is about the next generation. By the way, I mean, what we're doing with this building, if you haven't looked next door, go pop over and look and see the, 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 the new work on the toilets, it's, it's just breathtaking. And by the way, it'll be done in the next few weeks, so it's such a gift. We have so many volunteers who give it so much of their time. But I don't want to just die here, folks. I want to pass it on to the next generation. What we're doing here is for the long term. Everything we do is to pass on to the next generation until Jesus comes back. Because I want to please God. And I'm not going to please Him by being a bad soldier. I'm not going to please them by being AWOL. You know what AWOL means, don't you? I forget the, what is this? Absent without leave, that's right. Without permission, AWOL. <laughs> and and I, I want to I stay the course. I, I just want to please him. So examine yourself, Christian. Examine yourself, friend. Find out, are you even saved? Are you born again? But if you are, are you ready to soldier on? Stand with me, let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, strong words to us this morning that are, are meant to, to, um, to get us to realize we, we, we do have joy. We, we, there's a lot of fun being a Christian. I'm so glad I'm saved. I don't have to fear the wrath of God. I don't have to worry about death. But there is a battle that we're in. I don't have to battle for heaven. I do have to battle against hell. I have to battle against the forces that want to stop me from being a good soldier, want me to be a bad testament. The devil would love for me to ruin the good name of Jesus Christ. I don't want to do that. Now, you're not asking me to be perfect. God, save us from thinking we have to be perfect. We just have to be faithful. We just have to keep going. We just have to keep soldiering on. God, make us ready to press on like we're at war because we are. So encourage your people this morning. May we just not only be a thankful people, but a trained people. In Jesus' name, amen.